You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. While you were offline, wait, John Kelly said what? By Graeme McMillan. What even happened this past week? Sure, there was that brief, glorious moment when people cared about whether a sound clip said one word or the other. And yes, of course, who wasn't fascinated by the news that President Trump and Sean Hannity talk on the phone most nights before bed? Then, midweek, everything just exploded. The Senate Intelligence Committee released a report that said, basically, sure, Russia wanted to help the president get elected, and in the process revealed new information about Don Jr.'s Trump Tower meeting. But don't worry, apparently the president can't be indicted because he's the president. At the same time all of this was going on, a newly released financial disclosure form from Trump confirmed that he did actually reimburse Michael Cohn for the whole Stormy Daniels thing. Meanwhile, North Korea threatened to pull out of a meeting with the U.S. next month, and the Senate voted to save net neutrality and confirmed Gina Haspel as the next CIA director. No, really, it was a week. Let's relive it together, shall we? Trump changes his China tune. What happened? Just when you thought you could count on Donald Trump to at least be consistent on that whole Make America Great Again thing, last week he appeared to switch national allegiances— what really happened? The week began with an unexpected tweet from the President of the United States. Sure, most of his tweets are unexpected to some degree, but remember America first? Remember the guy who repeatedly complained that China was stealing American jobs? Who would have expected him to send this tweet? President Xi of China and I are working together to give massive Chinese phone company ZTE a way to get back into business fast. Too many jobs in China lost. Commerce Department has been instructed to get it done. As people got confused as to what was actually happening, the president continued his campaign. ZTE, the large Chinese phone company, buys a big percentage of individual parts from U.S. companies. This is also reflective of the larger trade deal we are negotiating with China and my personal relationship with President Xi. Let's just say that many people were suspicious about what was behind this apparent desire to, out of nowhere, help another country's economy. Steve Herman tweeted, In testimony in February to the Senate Intelligence Committee on Tuesday, six U.S. intelligence chiefs cautioned against buying products or using services from 
Shuai or ZTE. DC Gomez added, Wow, I rarely comment on POTUS tweets, but this one deserves a response. Telecommunications companies like ZTE use their devices and networks to compile intelligence on behalf of the Chinese government? This is just a fact. And Max Kennerly, the Commerce Department banned exports to ZTE because it repeatedly violated U.S. sanctions limiting exports of U.S. technology to Iran and North Korea. Of the 380 admitted violations, 96 were evasion violations meant to frustrate U.S. investigations. Make obstruction great again. And Matthew Miller tweeted, uh, U.S. companies were banned from selling to ZTE because it violated sanctions with Iran, which this administration claims is such a threat that it just imposed new sanctions. Adam Schiff, China backs Trump project in Indonesia to tune of $500 million. Trump backs China with fix for ZTE, a company that has cheated on Iran and North Korea sanctions and poses a cyber threat to U.S., Today's swamp level, White House now completely submerged. But then, things started to come into better focus. Dr. Dina Grayson tweeted, Trump's 180 on hashtag China Telecom ZTE came just 72 hours after an Indonesian theme park developer, to whom Trump Org licensed its name, signed a deal to receive $500 million in Chinese government loans and another $500 million from Chinese government banks. Yes, there was a potential bribe right in the middle of the story. Still, at least Republicans said they were going to look into the matter. Manu Raju, Thune and Cornyn both told me they'll ask Trump about his ZTE tweet and saving Chinese jobs. Cornyn, my main concern is they're an arm of the Communist Party and are actively involved in espionage. It's not just strictly a trading or jobs issue. There's more to it than that. Wait, never mind. Jake Tapper tweeted, GOP senators say in their caucus meeting with POTUS today, no one brought up the WH staffer's insult of McCain, nor POTUS's stated desire to help Chinese telecom ZTE against the advice of national security professionals. The takeaway? It's things like this that might give you pause about a belief in government. Catherine Valente tweeted, It's starting to feel pointless to keep hammering on about the hypocrisy in, let's say, Screaming for years about American jobs going to China, then using U.S. tax money to save Chinese jobs just to get Trump a new property? The powers that be no longer need to pretend to care. The U.S. opens its embassy in Jerusalem. What happened? Meanwhile, the opening of the United States' embassy in Israel was complicated by what was going on in the immediate area. What really happened? Last December, President Trump announced that the U.S. embassy in Israel would be moving to Jerusalem. Last week, the new embassy was ready to be opened by some high-ranking government officials. Ivanka Trump tweeted, I am honored to join the delegation representing POTUS, his administration, and the American people at this momentous ceremony commemorating the opening of our new U.S. embassy in Jerusalem, Israel. We will pray for the boundless potential of the U.S.-Israel alliance, and we will pray for peace. Oh, no, wait, we meant relatives to the president, which it turns out isn't the same thing at all. Still, at least Trump appeared via video conference, which is a thing now. According to CBS News, we are opening the U.S. Embassy many, many years ahead of schedule. As I said in December, our greatest hope is for peace. 
the U.S. remains fully committed to facilitating a lasting peace agreement, President Trump says. While all the pomp and circumstance was happening at the embassy, however, expected protests at the Gaza border got underway. What wasn't as expected was the Israeli response to said protests. According to the BBC News, as the U.S. opens its controversial embassy in Jerusalem, protests take place close by as well as on the Gaza border. Mark Cochlin tweeted, Health Ministry updates death toll from Israeli fire on Gaza protests today to 12. 10,000 Palestinians are at the border fence, demonstrating against the U.S. Embassy move to Jerusalem and demanding the right to return to ancestral lands. The Associated Press, breaking, Gaza's health officials say total of 52 Palestinians killed, more than 1,200 wounded by Israeli fire in Gaza. And Loveday Morris tweeted, Palestinian Health Ministry in Gaza put the number of children killed as six under the age of 18, five boys and a girl. Peter Ross added, What happened in Gaza today was not suppression of Palestinian protesters. It was a massacre. Fifty-five dead and more than 2,000 injured. This was a war crime, and Israel must be internationally condemned. Dozens were killed, and condemnation from international humanitarian organizations was swift. The UN Human Rights tweeted, Shocking killing of dozens. Injury of hundreds by Israeli live fire in Gaza must stop now. The right to life must be respected. Those responsible for outrageous human rights violations must be held to account. The international community needs to ensure justice for victims. Amnesty International added, We are witnessing an abhorrent violation of international law and human rights in Gaza. 38 confirmed dead including six children with close to 2,000 people injured. Many are reporting injuries to the head and chest, over 500 injured with live ammunition. This must end immediately. The same couldn't be said of the response from the U.S. administration. White House, responsibility for 55 killed in Gaza squarely with Hamas. The takeaway? Whoever is in charge of trying to control the president's social media these days they maybe should have tried to avoid letting him tweet this after news broke about the deaths in Gaza. Donald J. Trump tweeted, Big day for Israel. Congratulations. Don't speak. John Kelly, we know just what you're saying. What happened? White House Chief of Staff John Kelly upset a lot of people with his comments about immigrants. What really happened? In an unequivocal interview, John Kelly told NPR immigrants were not people that would easily assimilate into the United States, into our modern society. They're overwhelmingly rural people in the countries they come from. Fourth, fifth, sixth grade educations are kind of the norm. They don't speak English, obviously, that's a big thing. They don't speak English. They don't integrate well. They don't have skills. They're not bad people. They're coming here for a reason, and I sympathize with the reason— but the laws are the laws. That's not all, either. Speaking about the potential separation of children from their families by immigration officials, Kelly said, The children will be taken care of, put into foster care, or whatever. The or-whatever part became worryingly clear when, days later, it was reported that the administration was preparing to hold immigrant children on military bases. If the outcry that followed inflamed the already contentious debate about immigration— the president managed to pour another helping of gasoline on the fire a day later. Asked about deporting immigrants and particularly gang members, 
President Trump didn't hold back. Yes, that really happened. The President of the United States said that illegal immigrants aren't people, but are instead animals. So much for the country of the new Colossus. What the President said was chilling, and well, everyone noticed, because of course they did. Spencer Ackerman tweeted, These aren't people. These aren't people. These aren't people. These aren't people. These aren't people, said the President of the United States. James Martin added, Calling people animals is sinful. Every human being has infinite dignity. Moreover, this is the same kind of language that led to the extermination of Jews, vermin in Germany, and of Tutsi cockroaches in Rwanda. This kind of language cannot be normalized. It is a grave sin. Ben Wickler, these aren't people, these are animals, is the standard rhetoric of genocide. Amy Geis, as Trump tries to gaslight and propagandize people into thinking immigrants are animals, it's time to watch some documentaries on World War II. The fact that his Jewish son-in-law is along for the ride is disgusting. Mikhail Jolette, immigrants' communities have lower crime, better overall health, and contribute massively to the economy. Trump calls them animals because he is a racist. There is no other reason. Kaivan Shroff. Trump calling undocumented immigrants animals is step one in how mass genocide occurs. Overt dehumanization. Clint Smith. Before enslavement, Africans were called apes. Before the Holocaust, Jewish people were called rats. Before the Rwandan genocide, Tutsis were called cockroaches. Calling undocumented people animals, as the president just did, is gravely serious. It's not just an offensive word. Clint Smith. It's easy to dismiss what Trump said as nonsense, and it's easy to see discussion about its potential impact as hyperbolic. But there is a long tradition of entire groups of people being likened to animals before and during periods of mass violence against them. Amy Siskind. Anyone who doesn't believe Trump's these aren't people, these are animals comments weren't meant for all immigrants of color, I remind you also in this week, his regime is setting up internment camps for undocumented children who will be separated from parents upon crossing. As folks consider immigration and the danger it apparently poses to the country, this is something worth remembering, of course. The Upshot tweeted, Trump, these aren't people, these are animals, pesky facts. The link between immigration and crime exists in the imaginations of Americans and nowhere else. Even as people were getting upset, others were already preparing for the next stage of the story. Geraldine tweeted, Looking forward to Sarah Huckabee Sanders looking a reporter dead in the eye and saying that Trump never called immigrants without status animals. Don't worry, it arrived the day after. Olivia Nuzzi, Sarah Huckabee Sanders from the White House podium. If the media and liberals want to defend MS-13, they're more than welcome to. Caroline O. Wow. Asked about Trump describing immigrants as animals, Sarah Sanders says, The word animals doesn't go far enough and tries to justify it by citing crimes committed by gang members. The takeaway? Well, maybe he meant it as a compliment? He didn't, of course. Matt Haig Donald Trump calling humans animals is deliberately dehumanizing. But also, people who use animals as an insult forget there's only one species wiping themselves and everyone else out, and that's us. Pretty sure for most other sentient creatures, human is the insult du jour. More Michael Cohn news. What happened? 
It wasn't just the President of the United States who was making waves this week, though his personal attorney was keeping people pretty busy as well. What really happened? Maybe we've given you enough of President Trump and what mischief he caused last week. Why don't we talk about what his lawyer has been up to? Michael Cohn had a pretty bad week, too. Actually, he had a really crappy Wednesday. How crappy? Ronan Farrow tweeted, The whistleblower who leaked Michael Cohn's financial records is stepping forward to say why. Records of bigger, potentially more sensitive swaths of suspicious transactions appeared to be missing from a government database. Yeah, that crappy. Ronan Farrow's story in The New Yorker revealed that the leak of Cohn's financial records was just the tip of the iceberg. Maddow blog added, The report also refers to two previous suspicious activity reports, or SARS, that the bank had filed, which documented even larger flows of questionable money into Cohn's account. Those two reports detail more than $3 million. David Frum? A properly functioning Congress would have a very great many questions for Treasury Secretary Mnuchin about the apparent attempted removal from federal database of these reports of suspicious financial activity by Michael Cohn. Shane Harris tweeted, This is a remarkable story. I've never heard of SARS reports going missing. Some plausible explanations are spelled out in the story, but these are clearly rare, and that a U.S. official was concerned enough to leak and then admit to leaking to draw attention to this says a lot. Jonathan Chait, do you think Michael Cohn would be soliciting massive payoffs from other countries without giving Trump a taste? I sure don't. But wait, that wasn't the only story. There was also Cohn's attempts to solicit a million dollars from an investor from Qatar, something else that Stormy Daniels' lawyer had teased, notably. It was a story later confirmed by the Washington Post. Derek Cressman tweeted, Michael Cohn, President Trump's personal attorney, solicited a payment of at least $1 million from the government of Qatar in late 2016 in exchange for access to and advice about the then-incoming administration, according to several people. Oh, and on the same day, there was also a story about Cohn lying about how long the attempt to build a Trump Tower in Russia actually went on for. Kyle Griffin Investigators have obtained text messages, emails showing Michael Cohn was working on a deal for Trump Tower Moscow, far later previously acknowledged. Communications show that as late as May 2016, Cohn was considering a trip to Russia, Yahoo reports. Renato Mariotti added text messages and emails provided by Felix Sater to the government contradict Michael Cohn's version of events indicating that he was planning a trip to Russia to meet government officials in mid-2016, as Trump was clinching the nomination. With all this going on, no wonder that a fifth major Cone story again from Wednesday reported that the lawyer was telling friends, I just can't take this anymore. Hey, Michael, we're sure Robert Mueller would be willing to lend an ear if you want to talk. Grant Stern tweeted, Ouch, Michael Cohn, who blocked me for uncovering his Trump-Russia Kremlin ties, is hurt by legal onslaught and doubly hurt that his godfather abandoned him. Now he's got to look out for himself and his family. He's going to flip. The takeaway? All of that happened in just one day. Is this too much for regular people? Hell, is this too much for people who work in news? Chris Hayes tweeted, Seriously, just lost track of the corruption scandal investigation stories that broke today and are in our show. 
not to mention the president calling deported immigrants animals. The age of the twink? What happened? Sorry, age of Aquarius and age of Ultron. And any other age, really, it turns out. We're in a far sexier, skinnier age than anyone even suspected. What really happened? It was the style piece that launched all kinds of response. Far more than anyone expected, in fact. Time's out. Although the origin of the term has been disputed, some trace its history to twank, 1920s British slang for a client of gay male prostitutes, while others insist it's a vulgar riff on the cream-filled hostess snack. Yes, the New York Times declared that this was the age of the twink, and people had opinions about it. Even on social media, people were unimpressed. Ms. Benny? Please stop sending the Age of the Twinks article to all your twink friends. We're trying to listen to our Lana Del Rey vinyls in peace. David Mack tweeted, I regret to inform you the New York Times is writing about twinks. Stover Aguilera. All the news that's fit to print. New York Times. Every crustacean. Twink is a gay word. Straight people can't be twinks. They're just skinny. Matt Rogers. Straight men already take all of our roles. They can't have the word twink. They can't. I will personally file a lawsuit. Matt Nazario Miller. When will people get tired of talking about and praising the twink body type? I know I'm tired of it. Let's talk about something else, like the diversity of body types within the queer male community and how we can better represent and value them all. Louis Staples tweeted... Any gay with body hair who's ever been on a dating app will tell you that it's been the age of the twink for a very long time. Indeed, let's ask a dating app, shall we? But okay, sure, let's grant this particular supposition and ask the obvious question. Is this the age of the twink? If this is the age of the twink, what is next? The takeaway. If only everyone had jumped to this pun, everything would have been so much better. Tyler Oakley, think peace about twinks. You could call it a twink piece. Thank you for your time. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.